chapter 10, A A Sleuthing Trip. Now, right out the gate, uh, spoiler alert, it's not a sleuthing trip. No. They go to New York and see a play. (laughs) (laughs) That's the trip. The Hardy Boys are great at wasting their time and money, which I love. Yeah. and, And again, for them to scoff at... Oscar's muff a few chapters ago yeah. for wanting a few dollars to let them know where the car he had found was. Like, clearly, you boys know an investigation costs money. Yeah. You're flying to New York now on a whim. And not just flying to New York, your dad flew to New York and now he's flying two other kids, two getting other kids, them same day. in an adjoining room. Yeah. <laughs> separate room at the hotel. These expenses are piling up and somebody's going to have to pay for them. Man, this this is just nuts. Okay, so we start out, Hardy Boys get back home, and the car is missing. Their dad's car is missing. Yeah, which they knew meant he's still in New York. Dad's still in New York. Exciting things might be afoot. Yeah. Uh, then comes the surprise. Mom says, hey, boys, look, suitcases packed. Pulls out some plane tickets and uh, a stack of cash. Yeah, which I'm like, what? These boys are going for the weekend with their dad. Like, their dad's going to be there. Why do they need individually stacks of cash? And I want to take a second to applaud this moment because, first of all, in the in the first paragraph, uh, they looked in the garage and saw that only Mrs. Hardy's car was there. And I thought, for how they portray women so far in this series, yeah, good on her for having a car. She's got a car. She can drive. She gets around. Doesn't have to get yeah. rides from a man. Or something. To go to the grocery store. It seems that most of the women have been limited to just cooking. Yeah. And so it's nice to see that she has a car, which she can use on her. her, The boys understood what it meant that the car was there. Yeah. Mom's got a car, but here's the thing. She's still cooking. Because the first thing she does is, uh, you know, she lets the boys know about what's going on. They're so excited. They go up the stairs two steps at a time. Yeah. These boys. There's some excitement in there. This is not a single step situation. I feel it too. This is a two step situation. Mom gives them the ticket. They both get a a bunch of money. Not just that. Mama made snacks. Of course. Mama made snacks. I did like that. She uh, handed a ticket and half of the money to each of her sons. Saying your father wants you to meet him in New York to help him on the case. A couple things here. Yeah. One, as a a boy with brothers, I really appreciate that this is that that it was split up because it could have very easily a, all like gone you to said, Frank, the older brother. Yeah, could have all gone to Frank. Could have uh, had none and assumed that you know dad was gonna like. I think the dad picks him up from the airport and stuff. Like, yeah. It's not hard for the dad to just hold the money, but that they were each trusted with money. Um. When I went to Vegas with my brothers, my little brother, we just said, like, here, you take all the money. Uh, and, like, as we were gambling and winning and stuff, we just – anytime we, like, reached another threshold of money that we had – we were having a great night playing craps. Every time, like, we made another, like, 15 bucks, we just gave it to Jake, took it off the table. Yeah. And he just built his pockets up with all this cash. And then when we cashed out, he and I were staying in one hotel and our older brother was staying down at Excalibur, like, a mile and a half away uh, oh, and he yeah. was like, hey, can I have some money for a cab? And Jake, with the money in his pocket, goes, no, you can walk. And it, <laughs> it became quite an argument, but it stems from a single brother controlling the finances. So yeah. I like that. She nipped this in the bud. She's said, smart. She knows how to split just, it up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's got cash to throw around. I'm with Ms. you. Ms. Hardy's a having a good de- chapter. It was a wise decision. It was a very wise decision. I will also say that their relationship with their their mother is 
is is a bit strange because I feel like they're being treated like they're still eight or nine. Yeah, right. They're a little too old to be. They, they were given there, snacks and allowance here. There are two contrasting quotes from her on that note. Uh, the first one was. Uh, they were like, oh, we wish you could go with us. And she's like, well, I <laughs> yeah. don't want to spend my weekend in New York. Uh, I don't want to trot around to police stations and thieves' hideouts. This this hits my ears again of like, wait, you know your sons are going to be going to yeah. thieves' hideouts, and you're okay with that? <laughs> um, but then uh, a sentence later she says, uh, there's a snack ready for you. Uh, then I'll drive my detective sons to the airport. And I just have to imagine. Who are you? I have to imagine this is so condescending. Like, yeah. Like just yeah, placate your kids and like I would do the same thing if like if if I was the mother and I had these two sons who were not never helping around the house, constantly just out chasing things, using up motorcycle gas all <laughs> the time, listening to the ground, yeah, eating my food and, yeah. and not doing anything, chicken sandwiches, yeah, yeah, and then to be like, oh yeah, I'll drive my detective sons <laughs> to the airport. You can go to maybe New York. mom's giving a little bit of a backhanded compliment here, and that's that, well, I'm just thinking, are we reading this in the wrong inflections? I I'm putting it sarcastic. I'm going to assume yeah. that she's being a little sarcastic. My detective sons. And they don't know at all. <laughs> and they're just like, Mom thinks we're detectives. Hey, gee, thanks, Ma. <laughs> yeah. My boys are real special. Frank is also, there's this line where it says, Frank looked affectionately at his mother. He's and which now I was looked like, at her affectionately. And <laughs> yeah. in an earlier chapter, they kissed her affectionately. Yeah. I'm just thinking, Frank's got a thing for Ma. It's, Frank, it's a, like, this is all leading more and more to Frank is adopted. You know, that's not wrong. The darker-skinned brother, he's hot for mom. This is, there's there's a lot to this family dynamic that I'm sure, they're, they're just throwing us right into the middle of it here in book one. But maybe by book nine or ten, we start to we start really understand what used together. to happen. And yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I'm I eager to find out what happens. Um, but they make it to New York. Um, upon landing there, they were met by Mr. Hardy. So again... Didn't need There's money. There's dad. Don't need that money. Didn't yeah. need money, <laughs> didn't dad. Tell dad that mom gave him money either. They looked at dad oh. like, hey, you got all these expenses paid, right? Because, you know, we don't have money. Um, so before we get into this next scene, I just want to uh, do a quick summary, uh, very quick summary of the past couple of pages. Um, dad went to New York yeah. and then phoned Mrs. Hardy and said, pack the boys' bags. I need help. Mm-hmm. They're going to need to help me on this case. Um, it's... Uh, uh, trying to look for yeah your father wants you to meet him in new york to help him on the case uh and so they're excited help, oh, they're, they're help pumped, him on yeah. the case he's been in new york uh for he's a, found a, something good yeah, is what it for, seems for like for a like, day he's been in uh, new yeah. york now he's like <laughs> bring me two backups yeah i need I both need of two my strong sons. strapping lads to get down here ASAP. i need an extra hotel room for him i need two plane tickets uh, here and then obviously snacks need on two snacks, more to go yeah. home. Yeah, um, but so what happens next is Fenton Hardy tells them like this case has taken an interesting turn and may involve considerable research. That's why I thought you might help me. And then Frank's like, you know, tell us what happened so far. And then I have to say, at reading this, if it weren't for the extra quotation marks at the beginning of every paragraph, I would have just it seemed like I was reading a book. And and I thought like, man. Mr. Hardy's telling this long story, and he's a really bad storyteller. Yeah. He just sounds like a book. There's no adventure to – there's no like – there's a lot of scene direction, I feel like, that, that doesn't matter. And 
I don't know. It just seems like a bad story. But to summarize it before, if you have anything you want to dive in about it, but Fenton Hardy goes to the wig manufacturer and skipping some details, which we can go back on in a second. Yeah. The wig people are like, yeah, we sold this wig like uh, we mostly make theatrical wigs. We sold this about two years, a year and a half, two years ago uh, to an actor. But the good news is they uh, what is it? They make it per order. So it's like we can easily track down who we sold this to. Yeah. 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 And so they're like, yeah, and we sold it to this actor who works in New York here. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's funny that Mr. Hardy had one meeting. Went to a wig shop where they said, we sold this, we sell to actors, we're just the, theatrical we're just wigs. theatrical wigs, yeah. Uh, and w- yeah, we sold this one to an actor. And he's like, I need backup. Give me my <laughs> yeah. sons. I can't, we're going to need to talk to an actor. I have to talk to an actor? This wig. An actor? He can outsmart me. These guys are made to manipulate. I need two people that watch a lot of TV so they know how to read actors. They can say, yeah. dad, this guy's just acting. But that's such, like, he has yeah, one meeting... That, yeah. And the great Fenton Hardy. And so there's one thing, and I, and I want to come clean on this. Yeah. There's another Hardy Boys podcast episode. It's not, a, it's called the Hardy, it was like the Drink Book podcast or something like that. I don't know. I listened to one episode, but they talked about this book. Yeah. One of the points that these hosts, and I want to give proper credit, this was their thought, which I keep thinking of. But they were like, how many famous detectives do you know? Like this, these books are predicated upon like the great Fenton Hardy and his two sons. Yeah, and and there's a thing here where like when they visit the wig shop, they're like, "Yeah, we're not interested. Sorry, we can't help you." And then he gives his card out, and they're like, "Oh, this is this Fenton is Fenton Hardy. Hardy. Yeah, let's get the manager." And so and the boys are like, "That's because the name of Fenton Hardy is known from the Atlantic to the Pacific." Uh, Which I was just like, that Joe is interjected proudly. dad hubris that these boys also have. Yeah, well, they're they're enamored by it, and I yeah. get that. But, but it's the truth. It's the truth. Everyone knows this famous detective. And and the question that I think was posed really well in that other podcast was, how many famous detectives can you think of? This is not a profession yeah. where like you've heard of this one. Like other other than completely fictional, like a Sherlock Holmes. I know that's what I'm thinking. Every detective I know that's famous is a television character or a movie character yeah there are no like real I life i don't even know one detective in my life i feel like private detective is maybe a dying industry or something like i see there's like a one private inspectors somewhere in st louis like i've seen a billboard for them or something but like i don't like they see if your wife's cheating on you or something like that yeah. by following people around and, and i'm sorry to all the detectives listening <laughs> I, I don't mean to assault your profession i'd like to learn more <laughs> But I don't think any of you are famous. No. Maybe famous amongst each other. Right. But and not to wig makers. Yeah, exactly. Which, I mean, we, this, is, this is the real test. We should go into a uh, wig making facility and ask them, name one famous detective. Or name one famous wig maker. <laughs> because we've got, we've got what's-his-face here. Everyone in these books is just famous. Kaufman? Is it? Yeah. Kaufman here is our expert. What he doesn't know about wigs isn't worth knowing. <laughs> um, and then later when they meet the actor, he's like, oh, that wig, I'd never forget it. That's a Kaufman That's wig. That's a Kaufman wig, yeah. <laughs> so another... Which I was thinking too, like, uh, and, and this is kind of jumping ahead, but they bring the wig back to the actor and immediately he sees it and he's like, I know this wig. And I'm just like, if I went out and bought five different wigs that was the same wig, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference between any of them. Right. 
like you can't tell the difference between a wig. They all look the exact same. It's just hair stamped. There. Okay. I, b- before we get to the actor, is there anything else here? So he goes to the wig oh, shop. Yeah, he's at the wig shop. And and again, this isn't happening during the trip. He's just telling the boys what he did on his own. So the whole wig shop thing is just Fenton Hardy. And the manager is, you know, brings in Mr. Kaufman, the expert. And Mr. Kaufman says, yeah, I found this wig. Um, it, it, it took him a little bit to find it in his head. But he's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is uh, Morley. Which I was just like, what a name. And then we find out they're just going last name two first. So it's Harold Morley. Harold Morley, who, the great Shakespearean actor. Great with the Shakespearean Hamlet actor, yeah. Who is someone that I hope sticks around because I very much enjoyed Harold Morley. Yeah, so and as Mr. Kaufman, the, the wigman, is uh, talking, he's like, you know, that's who it was, Harold Morley. He's playing in the Shakespearean repertoire with Hamlin t- Company. He's very fussy about his wigs. Yeah. And I thought, as an actor, what an awful reputation to have. <laughs> he's a great actor, but he's a bit fussy. It has oh, to have what? him just wigs. so. I mean, if he's going to be shaking around, you don't want him falling off. I mean, there's nothing. It's nothing worse than a bad wig. Yeah, but is it a bad wig or a bad bad pin? I feel like you just pin a, a wig into your true. hair. I've never you can't really blame the wig. I've only That's worn wigs from like from. Party City, so I don't know what a real wig like. I guess you're right; they do pin it down. But as we learn, he doesn't have any hair. Oh, that's true. Mister yeah. Morley is a baldman. He's he's a baldman, uh, and they they we, don't even we've got a he's not just, and a baldman. He's not just bald. They they make a uh, what's the description about him? It oh, he's, like, he's short and stout. He's definitely. I mean, he's got to be short and stout. He's well, a man. Well, here, let, let, let's go there. But to get there, so Mister Hardy told him all this stuff, um, and so like. Kaufman shrugs his shoulders like, none of my business. I don't know why you would have bought a second wig. Um, lots of actors keep a double set of wigs. Um, we get that little piece of information, which is yeah. good to know. I didn't know that. And they said, I don't know why, but they all have double sets. And Kaufman knew also that Morley's playing down at the Crescent Theater right now. Call him up. Call him up, yeah. I'll Head go and down. see him, <laughs> I told the men. And that's just what we'll do, Frank and Joe, after a bite of supper. So again, they're going to eat real quick, but... This is just the moment where it's like, wait, this is the point where you're like, I need backup. Yeah. More than double my expenses for this trip because I'm going to go see an actor at a theater and I, I need two extra detectives. You need the two strapping young lads, man. But, I get it. You need uh, the young bucks if you need backup. And, and he even says, uh, Frank asked in amazement, you don't think this actor is the thief, do you? How could he have gone back and forth to Bayport so quickly? Isn't he playing here in town every night? They're in New York. Yeah. Um, and then Mr. Hardy admitted that he, too, was puzzled. He was certain Morley was not the man who had the wig on when the jalopy was stolen. And, again, that just brings me to this, like, so you had one meeting yeah. with a wig company. You clearly know And they know gave you one anywhere. lead that you know for sure isn't the crook. Yeah, why the boys backup. down here. It all leads From to— From two other bad detectives. I wonder it, if It Frank- seems like Dad's just trying to teach him a lesson, like, hey— Detective work can be boring. <laughs> Detective work can be boring, and he gotta he gotta spend a lot of money. That leads to nothing. This I, is just the life lesson. I'd like Get Joe to pipe to up and be like, "Have we listened to the wig yet? <laughs> Have you put your ear to the wig to see what it has to say?" Oh, Joe, Joe! If you don't do this, I will be very upset. If Joe's not listening to those jackets and those wigs and and the tread, uh, I'm gonna be very upset. Yeah, I will be very upset. 
So they go and visit Mr. Morley, the Hardy Boys, and here's here's his description. A stout little man, almost totally bald. So he does have hair, but that's that's a description that kind of makes me angry because I want to know where the hair is at. Yeah, is it like the, the ring around the outside? Is it yeah, is he like Larry action? David bald? Yeah. Is he George Costanza bald? I mean, what kind of what kind of bald are we looking at here? It's a great question. It's not fair. But um, By the way, there was one thing right before that where when they arrived at the dressing room, Mr. Hardy presented his card to a suspicious doorman at the Crescent, but he and his sons were finally admitted backstage. We're like, again, Fenton Hardy shows his Fenton Hardy card, and they're like, oh. Yeah, he's pulling that Fenton, Fenton Hardy. Hardy dong. It's it's thirty minutes before showtime. Yeah, <laughs> thirty minutes before showtime, and they're like, "Yeah, go talk to our lead actor." You're a great detective. Of course, you can enter. He's fussy about his wigs, and he's only got thirty minutes to <laughs> curtain. But go ahead, yeah, talk to him for as long as you want. Now, don't be freaked out because he's in there diligently rubbing creamy stage makeup on his face. Yeah, I'm very diligent with my creamy stage makeup. He didn't. He didn't turn around, but eyed his visitors in the mirror, casually telling them to sit down. Mr. Hardy took the only chair. The boys squatted on the floor. And I thought, weird, just stand. Yeah. If there's clearly not what enough. What are you in a basketball game? <laughs> are you coaching? Take a knee, boys. <laughs> Listen up. All right, smile for the picture, you guys in the middle. <laughs> well, I'm just happy they didn't squat on each other with their weird getting undressed in front they, of each other. They held like, hands Frank's and like, hey, Joe, on the floor. make a chair for me, would you, pal? <laughs> your I'm going to sit on your back. Your turn to be the chair. <laughs> Often oh, heard of you. Last time. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Mickey Mouse yeah. Joe. Poor oh. Joe. Oh, don't sit on me, Joe. <laughs> All right, Joe can't be talked to. Frank. Well, he might do the third person thing. <laughs> Often heard of you, Mister Hardy. The actor said in a surprisingly deep voice that had a comical effect in contrast to his diminutive appearance. I would expect a stout little man to have a deep voice. Yeah. I would expect him to be rather trollish. What are you boys doing? That's kind of what I expected. Yeah. Often heard of you, Mr. Hardy. I don't know why I'm giving him this accent. <laughs> I like sudden, the accent, dude. <laughs> and then, glad to meet you. Sorry, glad to meet you. What kind of call is this? Social or professional? What kind of stage life does Harold Morley live if detectives visit him for social visits <laughs> in the 30 minutes before he goes on stage? But professional. Oh, yeah. Out with it. <laughs> yeah, know, he is just so stern as he's rubbing his makeup on his jowls. And, and, <laughs> and then once again, with people's keen sense of recall, Mr. Hardy asks, ever seen this wig before? And lays the hairpiece on the makeup table. And Mr. Morley turned from the mirror and an expression of delight crossed his plump countenance. Well, I'll say I've seen it before, he declared. Old Kaufman, best wig maker in the country, made this for me about a year and a half ago. Where did you get it? I sure didn't think I'd ever see this red wig again. This is the first of a few sentences <laughs> that make me think that they think this room is bugged. Because they're being very spe- – like they're offering details where like if there's a microphone somewhere like – I'm sure I didn't think I'd ever see this red <laughs> wig again. Fenton Hardy says, okay, I'm going to go home and pay my taxes. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to go home and not visit my extra wife in New York first. With my extra children. Right, Frank? Right, Joe? Uh, sure thing, Dad. Oh, oh, hey, Dad. All right, Dad. Hey, you think Mom can make us more snacks? I'm hungry. Why are you so hungry? You were on a plane for two hours. You just had snacks. Stop eating. You You're not doing eat work. Quite a bit. I'm starting to think that you're the chubby ones, not Chet. Poor Chet. That's on his way down. Poor Chet. So, yeah, oh. he realizes that this is the wig that was stolen from him. Yeah, uh, somebody Someone had the nerve it. to sneak into his room. While and, he was on stage. Oh, he was on stage. And not only did they steal from him, but they stole from other performers. And they stole, like, a diamond ring. A, a diamond wig. ring I had laying by the mirror. <laughs> yeah, I know. What are you doing just leaving your diamond ring? But this is another line where I'm like, is the room bugged? Because you're saying like, oh yeah, he stole that. And a diamond ring I had sitting by the mirror. <laughs> That's a big... Okay, if, if you were stealing, just think about this. If I'm going to go in and steal something, I'm just going to take the diamond ring. That's it. Why would I take this ugly red wig? That's probably lice or something. Well, not just that. So he, he took this... He took this wig and a couple of others that were around and beat it. No one saw him come or go. He must have gotten in by that window. Um, and then uh, uh, all the wigs were red, he stated. I didn't worry so much about the other wigs because they were for old plays. But this one was being used uh, right along, which I guess means currently. Yeah. I'm not used to that <laughs> turn of phrase. But again, like... He stole a bunch of red wigs specifically, which seems like a strange thing. Again, you've got the diamond ring. Yeah. Diamond ring fits in the pocket. You can walk out the front door. Boom. No one's going to say anything. You've got a you handful of red wigs. wigs. Yeah. You're going to look a little suspicious. <laughs> but uh, but then I thought like – but this one was being used right along. If you're doing a play with a red wig, you're not playing to the same audience every night. Like if you wore a different red wig on no the next night – yeah. No one's going to be like, you know, I just couldn't get into the character. The hair was all wrong. <laughs> it wasn't it was the same hair, wig he wore yesterday. But not with the I parked the way that I expected it. <laughs> so they explained to him, you know, like, oh, well, we found this uh, during some detective work. And uh, he was like, well, hey, uh, if you give us, uh, Fenton Hardy's like, tell you, give us a list of what was stolen. And then we can maybe use that to find. Uh, some more clues about the thief. So if we knew, like, if you stole a diamond ring, we'll check with the pawn shop to see yeah. if that diamond ring was around. Uh, and he wrote down, uh, glad to, said Morley. He reached into a drawer, drew out a sheet of paper. Uh, and he said, this is the same list I gave to the police when I reported the robbery. Number of the watch and everything. I didn't know watches had numbers. Yeah, I guess they have little serial numbers. But I guess, yeah. Watches used the day, to be a bigger thing back in the yeah. day. Yeah. I guess I have an Apple watch, which has a serial number because it's a computer. Yeah, but I would. I, I, you've got a Fitbit on. I'm, yeah. I'm looking at a Fitbit. It's got. Does a, that have any identifiable? I, I bet. I, I bet would, it's got a serial number on. I it. would imagine so. It syncs to my phone, so I imagine there's some sort of unique tracker in it. Huh. But I don't watch know. numbers. I watch no numbers. Idea. Yeah. And you know, this is back in the day with pocket watches were all the rave. Those things were awesome. Yeah. But this they should was, still be around. I wonder. It, it doesn't say whether or not it was a watch, uh, pocket watch, or a wrist watch. Yeah. But uh, now, which is the now, kind of detail you would like to know? Yeah. So, so the list uh, has all the things that were stolen. I didn't bother to mention the wigs. 
figured they wouldn't be back in any condition to wear if I did get them back. And this seems like a strange detail to admit in a police report to just not include things that you didn't think would be worth anything. Yeah, when they well, got... that wasn't really necessary. I feel like I'm also thinking, though, he's saying like he wouldn't wear that wig as it's brought back, but they just brought that wig back. And he was very excited to see it. So I imagine this well, whole scene, he picked it up and put it on his head. And he's wearing it at that exact moment of delivering the lineup. Yeah, but I would never wear it again. <laughs> Those wouldn't <laughs> be in the right condition. Yeah. It's a Kaufman. Um, so Mr. Hardy folded the list, put it in his pocket, and then Morley glanced at his watch, presumably a new watch. Yeah. Uh, lying face up beside the mirror and gave an exclamation and... David, would you like to give us this exclamation? I'm going to let you do this one. I can't make it through it. Suffering Sebastopol. <laughs> Dude, all I can think is, why is that not the catchphrase of the podcast? Right? We've been, we've been throwing good night out there because they exclaimed that. But I want to spell this. So if you're not reading along, on page 88, uh, we have suffering S-E-B-A-S-T-O-P-O-L. Sebastopol. Sebastopol. Suffering Sebastopol. I need to look up Sebastopol. Uh, it is capitalized, which makes me think maybe it's a city uh, yeah. or a person. Or a person. Maybe a great playwright. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's It's something suffering that Sebastopol. actors apparently say when Curtin is in five minutes. Yeah, and, and they're not even halfway done with their makeup. I feel like this is, a, you know, we need to do some sleuthing. We need to go into a a uh, sort of like the repertory theater maybe the fox theater get backstage when it's five minutes before a curtain and just just listen. listen yeah put our heads to the crowd and just maybe see what we could hear maybe bug the dressing rooms like yeah. it's clearly being done here yeah uh there's one more line here so then uh mr hardy and his sons left they made their way out onto the street not much luck there uh except through mr morley's stolen jewelry his father reminded him if that's located in a pawn shop it may lead to the thief well, boys, would you like to go into the theater via the front entrance and see the show? <laughs> and that was another like, You were just... Yeah, you're outside already. Yeah. Like, if you were inside still, sure, but they walked out into the street, and then... Now you're coming up with this... Dad, we could have just seen this show for free. You're the great the Fenton Hardy. We were yeah. just with the lead actor. We could have just been like, could we get some, like... uh Some of you those know, actors reserved seats. I know they got them. I've seen the movies. They were with the actor... But it was a professional call, not a social call. Perhaps had it been a he social call, said social. could have gotten tickets. Yeah. Or hey, can like, you give tickets for me both? and my kids? Sorry, this is professional. professional. <laughs> it's only business. It's not personal. So, yeah, they, they decide that, yeah, let's uh, see this show. Let's yeah. not do our job. Let's not do work. Let's spend more money. Tomorrow, we'll try to find out the name and address of the thief through his coat and hat. Right. <laughs> and then the Hardys enjoyed the performance of The Merchant of Venice with Mr. Morley as Lancelot Gobo and laughed hilariously at his comedy and gestures. He had great gestures. And so again, here, just quick summary. They've flown to New York. <laughs> they talked to an actor who said he had a wig stolen. Yeah. And then they went and saw a play. <laughs> and so they've been in New York. Fenton's been there for two days. The first day he found out... It was an actor. And the second day, they found out the actor doesn't know anything. Yeah. That's two days of New That's York expenses. That's New York expensive detective That's good work. detective work. And, and so, again, th this is – I wrote in the margin, if you're this famous detective, you can't – this can't be the quality of your, like, of your work. 
This isn't good enough to be a famous detective. There's been no intuition. I don't no think great... he's done anything so far that has been great detective work this entire book. No, nor have he his He gave sons. like one thing of advice that I was like, oh, well, that's a good fatherly piece of advice, not a detective piece of advice. I'm only given hope here. But you know that thing like when you go on vacation mm-hmm. and it's pouring on the first day. No, oh, yeah. And it's just miserable. You're cold, you know, whatever. Every, all your stuff's wet. But you get this like, well... It is only the first day. We're going to be here for a week. Yeah. That hope is the only thing I have right now, knowing that there's like 200 other books and like we're barely into this series. I just keep that hope like it's going to get better. Yeah. It's got to. They're going to age. They're going to get smarter. They're going to learn from their mistakes. Like, yeah. I feel like in book two, there's going to be some opportunity to go to New York to find something. And Ben's <laughs> yeah. going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Remember last time, boys. <laughs> last time, that was a fool's errand. We wasted like $1,000 in 1920s money. Um, maybe we should just make a phone call. Because all the everything that they've done so yeah, far. Yeah, he opens up his drawer and he's like, here's my giant wig list. Just call one of these people. Call one of the wig like, all the Hardy Boys have done in this book so far is they've gone to wig makers and pawn shops. That's detectives, That's man. detective that's work. Detective okay, work. that's what I'm starting to you think. You don't know. <laughs> yeah. You don't know. It's about wigmen. It's about wigmen, wigmen and pawnmen. And, 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 and a ponies. Bald, and a baldman. And a baldman. Baldman, wigmen, pawnies. Ah. Uh. Oh, guys. Jesus. So next day, uh, they decide... This is another last little thing here. Well, Um, Joe is self-aware about it, too. Joe even says, all this trip for nothing. His father laid a hand on the boy's shoulder. A good detective, he said, never sighs with discouragement, nor becomes impatient. Which is, I think, a weird, like, thing, like motto to give detectives like i don't know the other detectives like if someone was like you know sort of down on themselves where like one detective would say to another like hey remember a good detective never sighs with discouragement nor (laughs) becomes impatient remember the creed of detectives (laughs) don't sigh with discouragement i can see joe like going back back home with this and giving the same advice to slim when slim's talking about his supermarket experience like hey slim Good supermarket. Uh, <laughs> never like size with, with disappointment. <laughs> I, I imagine that Mrs. Hardy has embroidered that on a pillow somewhere. Oh, I hope so. I hope uh, so. But so they're like, hey, uh, some of their next effort could be devoted to doing some research in the city's police files. Since Mr. Hardy had formerly been a member of the New York City Detective Force, he was permitted to search the records at any time. I thought, is that, is that how it works? Is that legal? Yeah, you're, you're a detective one time, and like, oh yeah, any of our confidential files, help yourselves. <laughs> yeah, yourself. Well, you were, you're not a detective anymore, but you were like 15 years ago. Yeah, oh, you're Fenton, still, you come still on ble- in. Can you're I cut you? Are you bleeding Atlantic blue Pacific? still? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're a great detective. Yeah, you're a world famous detective. Hey, is that a coffin in your pocket? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a is that a, a Kaufman in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? It's a Kaufman. Oh, I can spot a Kaufman from a mile away. It's a Kaufman wig. Oh God! So they 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 go to the New York City uh, headquarters, and the work begins. Uh, and first. Uh, they do a rundown on any known New York criminals who use disguises, <laughs> which I just thought, modernize this. They're Googling. 
<laughs> is yeah. what they're doing. And like to get a big lead on who stole a car, they're Googling New York City thieves who use disguises. And that's the pool they're starting with. I, I hope that this is something that the police do nowadays, too, where they just type into Google people who wear disguises with criminal records. And then, Do so, you think that is like – do you think there is an actual database of criminals who specifically wore a disguise? Well, I think of like Point Break. When they wore <laughs> yeah. like the detect or the uh, the president the de- masks, the presidents, yeah, yeah. But with this, I, I, I have to imagine that in this database, like it's, <laughs> and again, this isn't electronic, yeah. It's all papers, yeah. But that there's a checkbox somewhere that just says used disguises, <laughs> and they're going through and like, no, this guy didn't use disguises. Couldn't have been him. This guy didn't use disguises. Couldn't have been him. Yeah. But so then it says this guy wears disguises but never wigs. Yeah, and he's not yeah. from New York. Yeah. <laughs> so, couldn't have been him. Um, but then, of these men, the Hardys took uh, the reports on the ones who were thin and of medium height, which I have to imagine, with the precision available at the time, was not specific. And like anyone over yeah. seven foot or like under three feet was excluded. <laughs> was considered medium. Everyone else is medium height. But that's like with the Google like cross reference. From this arbitrary group of known (laughs) New York criminals who have used disguises, ones that are thin and of medium height. And then from that, they came a check by telephone on the whereabouts of these people. And all could be accounted for as working some distance from Bayport at the time of the thefts, with one exception. I'll bet this is our man, Frank exclaimed, but where is he now? And that's the cliffhanger. That The chapter yeah. ends there. And the big cliffhanger is they did a Google search, made a bunch of phone calls, and they found that one person wasn't like clocked in working someplace far away from Bayport when the car was stolen. And they're like, let's do it. We got our guy. I wonder yeah. where he is now. This just seems like really, really bad detective work. Well, all I can say is... I hope that Detective Jalopy is Revan in Chapter 11. Mm. 